The Cloudy Day by Caleb Sig It was a perfect day to deface a national institution. The bustling city of Old Pork was a centerpiece of modern society, a pinnacle of urbanization, and a shining example of contemporary lifestyle. In a particularly busy part of town, on a particularly popular street, in a particularly dilapidated station wagon, sat two particularly anxious men. The two men stared out the windows of the vehicle, watching the rapid flow of humans pour in and out of the impressive building across the street. One of the men, a squat man resembling an elongated bowling ball with facial hair, kept shooting glances at his watch. Five minutes said the short man, tugging at his goatee. His companion, a tall man resembling a thick pencil with no facial hair, looked away from the Museum of Historic Art and sighed. Well, thank God you're here, Dave. If you hadn't been here to count down the minutes for the past hour, I would have been utterly lost, said the tall man. While you're being helpful, I don't suppose you could stop panning like an asthmatic whale. You're fogging up the windows. Oh, I'm so sorry, Jacques. I'll just stop breathing then, said an indignant Dave. Jacques agreed with the idea, and Dave made a vulgar suggestion that Jacques didn't like. A silent minute passed before Dave interrupted the silence again. Three minutes. Oh, for the love of Rembrandt, exclaimed Jacques, throwing his hands up in despair. Could you please keep it to yourself? You completely demolished my train of thought. How am I supposed to compile a plan with you blathering away like a damaged cuckoo clock? I thought we finalized the plan last night, said Dave, looking concerned. Please don't tell me you're revising it again. The best plans are those that are constantly adjusted, said a tolerant Jacques, as if he were explaining it to a child. The more it changes, the more successful it'll be. Dave nodded several times, then stopped. That makes no sense. Shut up, Dave. I don't pay you to contradict me. You don't pay me at all. There you go again! Their bickering continued until Dave checked his watch. Negative one minute. Damn it, Dave! You had one job! said Jacques, nearly eating the pavement as he ejected himself from the station wagon. The two men joined the thrall of shivering people and entered the Museum of Historic Art. They moved through room after room, passing bored children, emotional elders, and a curious mime admiring a work of cubism. The anxious men showed no interest in the art as they made their way through the galleries and floors of the large glass-walled building, at least until they reached the only exhibit that they cared about, the Victor Von Goethe Gallery. Approaching the glass door, they peered in at the crowd of people inside. Everyone was pushing to get a good look at the only work of art in the gallery, The Cloudy Day by Victor Von Goethe. The painting was a bunch of oily swirls that portrayed a quaint country village on the brink of a sunset, painted on a canvas the size of a large chessboard. Several observers were sobbing into their hands, unable to handle the emotion provoked by Von Goethe's painting. Dave sneezed. Damn it, Dave, said Jacques, looking with distaste at the blemish now dripping down the glass floor. Sorry, said Dave, wiping away his mess with a handkerchief. Allergies. They stepped aside as a group entered the gallery, then continued staring through the door. Two muscular men with intimidating facial features were standing on either side of the cloudy day, 
watching the crowd of observers with an air of perpetual suspicion. Are you sure that this will work? asked Dave. Positive, Jacques reassured him, wiping sweat off his forehead. All we have to do is act like we belong there. Everyone is too afraid of awkward situations to challenge us. According to a movie I saw, it's rooted in scientific fact. Dave agreed with the logic and pushed the door open. They entered the gallery with all the confidence they could muster and walked straight towards a door labeled Employees Only beside one of the guards. Jacques nodded curtly to the guard as they passed. The guard looked slightly confused, but nodded back. Dave closed the door behind them, and they let out a deep breath. See, I told you it would work, said Jacques. Behind the door was a long, narrow hallway, currently devoid of people. The two men walked down the hall at a calculated pace, with expressions of superiority and authority plastered on their faces. A door opened ahead of them, and a man entered the hall. He walked towards them, staring down at a noticeably unnoteworthy note. The two men continued down the hall, casually, and nodded to a man as he looked up at them. The man abruptly stopped. Who in Picasso's name are you? he asked, glaring down the hall at them. You're not supposed to be back here. Dave muttered a synonym for feces as Jacques silently cursed the movie industry. I didn't catch that, said the angry employee, walking stiffly towards them. What my friend meant to say was we're looking for the little artist's room, said Jacques, as Dave checked his watch. This wasn't good. This area is for employees only, said the man, halting his approach at a cautious distance. Can't either of you read? Dave shrugged his round shoulders in mock despair. As a matter of fact, we're both illiterate. That's why we spend our time looking at art instead. What in Da Vinci is that supposed to mean? Said the man, taking several angry steps forward. In a split second, Jacques had sprung forward, grabbed the employee's hand, and bashed it into the wall, leaving an artistic dab of blood on the otherwise drab white paint. The man's body fell limply at Jacques' feet. Dave put his hands on his hips. Do you have to be so dramatic? He asked looking with disdain at the unconscious body. You're literally carrying chloroform. Well, you're literally wasting precious time, replied Jacques, grabbing the feet of the employee. Give me a hand, would you? They started dragging the man down the hall, but promptly dropped him when he stirred slightly. Oh, watercolors, cursed Jacques, fumbling around in his pockets. Why is he waking up already? This looks way easier in the movies, said Dave watching Jacques pull out a bottle, pouring a tiny amount of chloroform on a cloth. He brought the cloth to the, the employee's face for a moment, making sure the man inhaled the fumes. Dave checked his watch, relaying the time to Jacques, and they hastily dragged the man to a door marked Utilities. Dave opened the door, and they tossed the body into the closet. As Dave shut the door, another door opened further down the hall, and a man and a woman dressed in oversized security garb entered the hall. Jacques and Dave exchanged meaningful looks when they walked to meet them. When they saw each other's faces, both pairs stopped abruptly. Hey, you guys aren't supposed to be back here, said the uniformed man in a voice that reflected surprise. And you, said Jacques, taking a careful step forward. Don't work here. 
The woman pointed to the stenciled words on her shirt proclaiming, Security. Of course we work here, she said. Do you think we wear these uniforms for kicks? Jacques looked at Dave, who nodded, then slipped a hand inside his jacket. If you work here, then why don't your uniforms fit? Jacques asked, gesturing at the baggy clothes hanging sloppily around the bodies beneath them. The man looked down at his shirt, which fell between his knees and his hips. They were, uh, uh out of our sizes, he said, hiking up his pants. You two better beat it before we call security. And here I was thinking you two were security, said Jacques, as he and Dave took another step forward. The man was opening his mouth to respond when Jacques and Dave leapt forward, bringing damp cloths to the faces of the imposterous pair of guards. Two bodies slumped lamely on the floor. Who the Salvador Dali are these idiots? Asked a panicked Dave, putting the cloth back in his jacket. This was not part of the plan, Jacques. Jacques was silent while they dragged the unconscious pair one at a time to the utility closet. They closed the door behind them and observed their rapidly growing collection of chloroformed people. They must have been thieves, said Jacques, while wrestling the uniform off the unconscious man. Dave looked down at the unconscious woman, then guiltily began undressing her. This is ridiculous, said Dave, pulling on the newly commandeered uniform. You told me this plan was foolproof. Well, I didn't bloody count on other people having the same plan, did I? snapped Jacques, tucking in his shirt. Everything will be fine. We just have to stick to the plan. We're going to prison, said Dave, adjusting his tie. That's the spirit. Several minutes later, they returned to the door to the Von Goat Gallery, looking every bit like people who were probably security guards. Dave crossed himself. I thought you were an atheist, said Jacques. We need all the help we can get. I highly doubt God is going to help us steal a priceless piece of art. God works in mysterious ways. Shut up, Dave, said Jacques, opening the door to the gallery. They entered the bustling room and approached the pair of guards. Uh, hey, uh, guys, said Jacques, making an awkward salute at the larger of the two men. Your shift's up. The guard blinked. Shift? All right, I'll shift. Well, good, thanks. Jacques blinked back. Excuse me? That's okay, the guard said, waving a hand. Really, we're fine. We're not volunteering here. We're just trying to do our job, said Dave, checking his watch, verifying that they were on time for the changing of the guard. They were. The smaller of the guards opened his mouth to speak when shouts erupted from outside the gallery door. Everyone in the room turned to the door, listening. Several more shrieks issued from the floors below, and pandemonium ensued. The crowd of art lovers flew from the gallery, like sailors abandoning a sinking ship. What the bloody Bob Ross is going on out there? Asked the large security guard, making no physical effort to find out. We have to stay to guard the cloudy day, he said, then pointed at Jacques and Dave. You two go see what's going on out there. Dave looked at Jacques. They couldn't risk disobeying orders, lest the already suspicious guards request to see their ID cards. Attempting to overpower them with chloroform would be too risky, seeing as one of the guards' arms was as thick as Jacques' thigh. Okay, said a reluctant Jacques. We'll be right back. 
Dave and Jacques followed the rush of people out of the gallery. Those guys are as thick as barn doors, said Dave as they moved down the hall. Jacques was about to agree when they spotted the source of the commotion. Two men, who were shaped somewhat like eggs, were running towards them, waving unnecessarily large matte black guns in the air. When the egg-like gunmen spotted them, they leveled their guns at Dave and Jacques' chests and approached slowly. This is a robbery, said the more egg-like of the two men. Please put your hands above your head, gentlemen. Dave promptly threw his hands in the air, but was surprised to see his friend smile and place a relaxed hand on his standard-issue security baton. No, Jacques said simply. But, but, the less egg-like man said, I I'm pointing a gun at you, he waved the gun helpfully, as if unsure if Jacques hadn't seen it. I can see that, Jacques said, pulling out the baton and taking a defiant step towards the gunman. And I'm sure the pellets they shoot would leave quite a welt. Damn it, Jack, I told you they would recognize airsoft guns, said the more egg-like gunman. Shut up, David, said Jack, as Dave and Jacques advanced on them, armed with batons. They tossed aside their extremely ineffective weapons and fled the way they came. Dave picked up an airsoft gun in disbelief. What is this, an art thief convention? This is so unrealistic. Jacques agreed, picking up the other gun. They returned to the Von Goat Gallery, only to be faced with another problem. The two muscular guards were gone, along with the cloudy day. Ah, uh, you gotta be kidding me, sighed Dave. Jacques kicked himself for not seeing this coming. Of course the guards were thieves. No wonder they didn't want to swap shifts. Come on, he said, dashing to the employee's only door. They must be escaping through the employee exit. They ran through the door and down the familiar hallway. The door to the utility closet was open, and the two muscular thieves were in the process of placing yet another pair of bodies inside. Freeze, cried Dave, aiming his plastic rifle at the thieves. The men looked up in surprise, dropping the bodies on the floor. Their eyes widened at the sight of the guns, and they swiftly raised their hands in defeat. Oh God, please don't shoot us, said the larger of the two, his voice quivering with fear. We can explain. No need, Jacques said, a smile creeping onto his face. I can guess you knocked out two security guards, stole their uniforms, waited for a distraction, grabbed the painting, went to escape out the employee exit, were confronted by two people I assume tried to take the painting back from you, knocked them out, and were thwarted by my friend and me. That about right? The men grudgingly agreed that that was about the lay of things. Jacques and Dave instructed the two thieves to finish piling the unconscious people in the utility closet, then told them to shut themselves in with the five bodies. When the closet door was closed, Dave cautiously approached and locked the door. They found the cloudy day leaning against the wall in a room down the hall. Oh my Caravaggio, said Dave, tenderly running his fingers over the edges of the famous canvas. We actually did it, Jacques! Jacques opened his mouth to give a profound speech about teamwork and achieving one's goals with hard work, but was cut short by the opening of a door across the room. Three men entered the room. Two were garbed in security uniforms, while the third was a plump man wearing an expensive Italian suit. The plump man looked from the painting to Jacques and Dave, then started clapping. Aho, he said in an obviously fake British accent. Good show, chaps! 
Dave eyed the guards behind the man with suspicion. Uh, thanks, he said. I'm afraid we haven't met, said the man, presenting a well-moisturized hand, shaking Dave and Jacques' hands respectively. My name is Curtis. I'm the head curator here at the Museum of Historic Art. I can't thank you enough for retrieving the cloudy day from the inordinate number of thieves our museum was plagued with today. Yeah, right, said Jacques, feeling dead inside. Oh, our pleasure. Let's return it to the gallery before it's stolen again, said Curtis as he began walking back to the Von Goat Gallery. Dave picked up the canvas, looking wistfully down the corridor to a set of stairs marked Employee Exit then hung his head and fell into step behind Curtis. Once back in the gallery, Dave was placing the painting back in the glass shield when he sniffed. Then his entire body spasmed as he sneezed violently. His eyes adopted the circumference of dinner plates as he stared in utter horror at the goopy mess that now stained the priceless painting before him. He turned slowly to face Curtis, as if he was turning to face a firing squad. Dave opened his mouth to apologize, but all he could manage was a feeble, sorry, allergies. Ooh, don't worry, said Curtis, taking the bacteria-infected painting from Dave's shaking hands. To Jacques and Dave's astonishment, the head curator nonchalantly tossed the canvas over his shoulder. It was a forgery, he said simply, wiping his hands on his tailored pants. Almost nothing on display is genuine. A while back, many of our pieces were being stolen on a monthly basis, so we decided to display forgeries and keep the real paintings hidden in a storage room in the back. That has to be the fourth The Cloudy Day forgery we've gone through, he said, gesturing to the discarded subject of Dave's sneeze. Still, Curtis said, panting an extremely confused Dave's shoulder. We can't thank you enough for your help. You two are prime examples of museum security. Jacques' eye twitched. Now, said Curtis, clapping his hands, I have to go brag to the press about our impeccable security measures. Would you two be kind enough to fetch another forgery from the back? There should be a pile of them underneath the genuine, the cloudy day he said, handing a large silver key to Jacques. Moments later, Jacques and Dave were standing inside a room that was worth more than the Empire State Building. Every inch of the large room contained pieces of art with labels declaring them either real or fake. They dashed around the room, gleefully plucking priceless painting after priceless painting off the wall, including the cloudy day. When their arms were full, they left the room and made a mad dash for the employee exit. Looking both ways before crossing the street, they raced back to their station wagon, dropping several items on their way. They opened the trunk, deposited their loot, then got in the car. The tires spun out as they leapt from the curb and shot into old pork traffic. Jacques and Dave momentarily sat in silent reverence, unable to find words to describe the euphoric feeling that consumed them. Once they put several blocks between them and the museum, Dave spoke. We're horrible human beings, he said, glancing at their hoard in the rearview mirror. Oh, please, it's not like we set fire to a cat, said Jacques. 
Their laughter was suddenly suspended as a black SUV came careening down the road behind them, crashing violently into the back of their station wagon. Jacques and Dave were thrown backwards into their seats as their car was converted into a two-seater. When the car came to a sliding halt, Dave looked back at the horribly mangled mass that used to be the trunk of the station wagon. I don't think our insurance is going to cover that, said Dave. Shut up, Dave, said Jacques. So that was Alec Loby reading Caleb Sig's story, The Cloudy Day. Um, excellent job, Alec. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, now we're just going to ask Caleb um, a few questions that I thought that it would be a good idea, Alec, for you to stick around and see if you had any insights. Okay. Um, I believe that you were in the class, the creative writing class, when uh, Caleb put the story out to share and, and for others in the class to read, and so you might have some additional insights there. Anyway, so um, Caleb. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Thank you for sharing that uh, story. It's no a really, problem. really fun story. Um, one thing I'm curious, as always with writers, is about your writing process, and maybe we can start off with asking you about um, the original kind of seeds for this story, mm -hmm. uh, where it came from, what kind of sparked it, Yep. What was your, what, did you have a particular interest in heist stories or caper <laughs> stories or art stories? Yeah. Okay, so um, in the same creative writing class, we read a story, uh, Too Many Crooks by Donald Wesley. Yep, yep. Um, and that's where I got the inspiration for doing a heist story. Um, for this particular one, I write generally an absurdist sort of... <laughs> style which just means taking the absurdity of a regular event well or in this case a regular event and blowing it out of proportions and blowing the ridiculousness of life or situation up and so i would say that that story that we read was borderline absurdism as well yeah. and i kind of just took it a little bit further and yeah it was a fun story to write yeah good 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 um <clears throat> one thing that i'm kind of curious about is I know you mentioned this this Donald Westlake um, mystery story, um, Too Many Crooks, which is kind of a comic caper um, uh, short story. And I know that you took the mystery literature class. And I'm kind of curious about what your kind of what genre you are drawn to. You're clearly writing in this kind of absurdist model. But um, I'm asking that because in this particular story, one of the things that we talk about in the mystery class is in hard-boiled detective fiction, which I know you were interested mm -hmm. in and had read mm -hmm. quite a lot of before you right. got into the classroom. Right. Um, one of the things that happens in hard-boiled mysteries is that everything changes its meaning. Yeah. And one, what you think is the mystery or right. what you think is the right. plot changes pretty dramatically and that's exactly what happens here so could you maybe talk a little bit about that how the plot keeps changing its meaning and becoming something else page yeah. by page uh -huh. yeah so the main theme of the story is constant change and you know at its base it's a heist but it's also a triple heist and a quadruple heist and everyone is <laughs> not who they seem and yeah, as as far as genre and what I'm drawn to, I'm generally drawn to mystery or um, really any story that changes and isn't the same all the way through and has twists and turns. And I really enjoyed writing 
as many twists and turns as I possibly could in this one. It almost seemed like it was a challenge. Like Yeah, um, yeah. How many twists can I fit into twelve pages? Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I hadn't really thought about it in terms of relating to a hard boiled, but it does share a lot of qualities with that. Yeah. So, Alec, um, I have a question for you. Since you read Caleb's story, yeah. you had read it before in the classroom, right? Yeah. Had you? I don't, I don't uh, think I did. It was written so. in the class, but it was for smaller workshops or something like that. Yeah. So, uh, but the, these kind of small-time crooks that Caleb has created in the story, um, the spin that you put on them was this kind of these like old-fashioned... I was envisioning these kind of almost Keystone cop style mm -hmm. crooks because of their accents and so on. So maybe that's me reading a little bit into it. But I'm curious about uh, where that came from and, and where do your voices come from? Well, I like to watch a lot of animation and I admire a lot of voice actors. And whenever I, when we read the story in the class, it reminded me kind of like, like that old time kind of like Looney Tunes. Or like so, I like to imagine it as kind of one of those things. And another one, one of the older kinds of comedies that I really like is like the Three Stooges, even, mm -hmm. which yeah. has this very fast-paced kind of like grumpy, yeah, yeah. the grumpy yeah. yet endearing attitude. And I like yeah. that. I think it's funny. Yeah. And uh, also like dry humor. So I like the I like it uh, to be a little dry but yet animated. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. You did a great job, and it's a great story, Caleb. Uh, anything else that either of you would like to add as we wrap up this inaugural Big Ben Writing Club <laughs> podcast? Um, hmm. I just love the dialogue in this story. I was just, my favorite part of writing is dialogue and getting that to work in a story was really big for me. Um, yeah. And I love all the artistic references too. Yeah, the swearing. <laughs> the swearing. <laughs> yeah, keeping it clean. <laughs> yeah. You got Bob Ross in there. Yeah, the I did. Yes. He's up there with Van Gogh and yep. Caravaggio. Of course, there. yeah. <laughs> it like, like it goes from these, like really renowned Rembrandt, and yeah, yeah. and then <laughs> and then Bob Ross, which I mean, no disrespect to Bob Ross, but I mean like, <laughs> we know what you mean. <laughs> I don't know. I like I like Bob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, a, he's an impassioned guy, yeah, for sure. Yeah, he was like a drill sergeant too, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? He, really? yeah, he would. He was like the guy who would like yell at people when they were like training to go into. <laughs> I don't know if it was the Air Force, or the Army, or what it was, but like I read somewhere that after he did that, he wanted to dedicate his time to painting, and he like made a vow never to. Yeah, I like that again. Started yelling. Okay, we're gonna do five happy little push-ups now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the least effective. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you look at him now. It's like you can hear a pin drop if you hear if you're while he's talking. Yeah, yeah. Because he's yeah. like, we're just gonna put a little little happy tree right there. God bless my friend. It's like that. So he got it all out of his system. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, thanks, guys. Appreciate it, yeah, and, uh, and really nice job, both of you. You're a pair of talented young writers and performers. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you.